We've been in 2 Corinthians for, it's kind of hard to believe, we've been in 2 Corinthians for 19 weeks now. Uh, most of the pandemic, uh, we have been in, in 2 Corinthians, and it's ama- been amazing to me about how much in this book um, relates, uh, transfers to what, what we're walking through as a nation, what we're walking through is a, is, is a, is, is, is a people group. And so today, I, today I'm telling you, um, well, let me just back up. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 all the way to 33, but we're not going to make it to 33. And so I, I, last night in the Saturday night service, and actually before the Saturday night service, it seemed like God just prompted me about, we just need to slow down. I know we've been in this book like 19 weeks, but there is a lot that God has for us in this book, and I don't, I don't want to rush over some of it. And so I know in, in your notes, if you're like a note-taker type person, uh, you can use the Bible app, the Uversion app, and you can go to that. You can search on Fellowship of the Rockies. And then electronically, the notes uh, of the sermon will come up. And then all the scriptures. And then you can actually take notes electronically. And then you can email those notes to yourself if you're kind of like that techie type person and like to do things like that. Or you can email it to somebody else if you would like. You can do whatever. That's, that's between you and them. And so, uh, but that's the way you follow along. Well, I just want to let you know that there's three principles in there. I'm only preaching two this weekend. And we'll grab the next one next weekend along with the sermon. And we'll, we'll continue uh, to journey through the book of, of, of 2 Corinthians. I've committed to you when we started this series that we were going to go you know, verse by verse, line by line, and sometime word by word, and get everything that God has for us out of, out of this book. So there's just so much there. The title of this message is Spiritual Maturity. The issue in the, in the church there in Corinth, Corinth was, a, was, an, was an affluent church, um, and, and it was reaching people. Paul planted the church. He was there for 18 months. Uh, He went away and made a couple of missionary journeys, and so the church was like having some problems, and they didn't understand what a church is and how Christians relate to Christians, and and they were reaching people, and people were coming from different political backgrounds, different uh, educational backgrounds, different social backgrounds, different spiritual backgrounds, and they're they're all coming into the church. And they're learning what it means to be a church. And so when you look at 1 Corinthians, you realize that Paul is talking to them about a church is a community of believers, and we're family, and we love one another, we accept one another, we're all members, we're of the same body. And when, when, a, when a church member suffers, we all suffer, and when a church member celebrates, we all celebrate. And so he's trying to help them understand that whole deal. And now in 2 Corinthians, what is happening is, is there's some false teachers. There's some false teachers, there's some false prophets that have come up in the, in the community, um, and it's affecting, it's, it's affecting the local church. It's making its way into the local church. And there's some, there's some Christians that are like believing this, and it, and it is totally frustrating to Paul. And so now they're, they're bringing this false teaching into the church. There's some false teachers in the church. And so Paul is coming to this place, and so he stands against the false teachers. And then the false teachers attack Paul. And so Paul comes to this place to where he has to defend himself. And when he tries to defend himself, they question if he's really a, a true teacher. They, te- they question whether he's, a, whether he's a true apostle. Now listen, I was, I met Christ in, in like the 80s, in like 1983. 1981, got married to Karen in 83. And so I met, I met Christ in 1981, then I met Karen in 
1983. We were married in, in 1983. And then if, if you're as old as me, uh, you're going to remember this poster. If you're younger than me, I'll bring you up to speed, okay? And so in the, in the 80s, there was this popular teaching. There was this popular poster that went around that simply said this, and then it had some verbiage to it, but the tagline was this, that if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And so he's really not talking about how much scripture you know and how often do you go to church. But, if, but, if, but if, they, if they put a private detective behind you and followed you around throughout your day, would there be enough evidence to convict you of where scripture, Jesus, has transformed your life and there's, there's a change happening within you? So that was real popular in the 80s and coming into the early 90s. And so this is what Paul's dealing with. The false teachers are saying, this is how you know. And Paul's like, no, that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches something totally different. And it's fascinating the difference in the false teachers and the difference in Paul. And so now you understand Paul comes to the place and he's trying to defend himself, reestablish himself as an apostle. He did it reluctantly because Paul did not like to talk about himself. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, here's what he says. And so he's talking to them, and we're going to back up, and we're just going to walk through this scripture together. He says, I repeat, let no one consider me a fool. But if you do, at least accept me as a fool so that I can also boast a little. So now he's talking about, I need to talk about my credentials. He says, what I'm saying in the matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but as it were foolishly, since many boast according to the flesh, many boast according to their credentials, many boast according to like what they've accomplished, uh, what they've studied, some of those other things. Foolishly, since many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast for you being so wise gladly put up with fools. So now he's being sarcastic, and he's kind of being sarcastic. There's a little bit of a snarky comment back to them. He says, do you not understand? You are gladly putting up with fools. See, fools in the, in the New Testament, when you look at the Greek, the definition of a fool is someone that doesn't believe in God, someone that elevates man's opinion and de-elevates de God. And so Paul has come to this place and says, you're believing these false teachers who don't not even, they don't even believe in God. They're using you. They're manipulating you. They're trying to exploit you for their agenda. Don't you know Scripture? And so Paul begins pressing in on this thing. So this morning, just two things. Just two things when we look at this spiritual maturity. I mean, how do you know? What is the evidence? What is the evidence in my life? What is the evidence in your life? This is what Paul's trying to help us understand. The first thing is this. When you talk about spiritual maturity, your maturity is revealed in the cho choices that you will make. Your maturity, my maturity, is revealed in the choices that we're willing to make, right? I mean, we understand that in parenting or grandparenting, right? We understand that as we raise children, as our children get older, and as they, their maturity is revealed in the choices that they're willing to make or the choices they begin to make. That's how we know that they're maturing emotionally, right? Now, this last Friday, it was kind of a funny story, but this last Friday, uh, Karen and I went up to the Springs, and we we're going to hang out with Brittany and Corey and then three grandkids, their kids, our grandkids. And so we're going to hang out with them. In the course of the afternoon, I think it was Brittany, but someone says, hey, we got that new sporting goods store in, 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 in Springs Shields. I don't know if you guys have heard about that. I mean, it is like a sporting goods store on steroids. It has an indoor Ferris wheel. It has an arcade. It has a shooting gallery. I mean, it is, even for me, it is a little overwhelming. I mean, anything sports, outdoor related, it is there. They have it. And so, you know, the kids get amped up, and we're all 
in the minivan. I'm up front with Corey, um, my son-in-law, and we're headed to, to Shields. And the kids are excited because they're going to ride a Ferris wheel indoors, and they're going to shoot some stuff and some of that other stuff, and they're going to play some games, and, and we're going to check out the sporting goods. On the way, uh, Nessa, my five-year-old granddaughter, is, is seated next to Karen. I don't know what was going on, but I just heard the, the comment that Nessa made. And so Nessa's five, and so Karen was kind of instructing her in something. I don't know what it was. And all of a sudden, I hear Nessa scream and says, I am so sorry, Nessa. Uh, I am so sorry, Nana. I am acting like I am four. <laughs> and, Brittany's like, and Karen's like, yeah. And I need you to act like you're five. You're five. And so that's how we determine, right? That's how we determine maturity. That we, you need to, in other words, you need to act your age. You need to act. And so Paul is dealing with this issue of spiritual maturity. And you're going to understand, we're going to unpack this together. Paul is about ready to lose his mind. There were several times in Scripture that you thought, you know what? Paul, Paul needs some meds. I mean, Paul needs something just to like bring him down. And, and he's about ready to lose his mind with what they're walking through. And so, so here's what he says, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty. In fact, is what he's saying, if you put up with it, if someone enslaves you, if someone exploits you, if someone takes advantage of you, if someone is arrogant towards you, if someone slaps you in the face, and Paul's like, I am not believing this. I am not believing you are believing these false teachers. Don't you know they're trying to exploit you for, for their gain? Don't you know they're trying to use Scripture to take advantage of you, to enslave you, to use you? They don't care about you. They don't even know God. They don't even care about you. And he uses some phrases that in our culture we don't really get, but in their culture when he used this, they got it. They understand it. And the first thing he says, don't you understand? They're trying to enslave you. They're trying to take you captive with false doctrine. These men and women, I just look at their lives. They're not even people of integrity. Their yes is not yes, and their no is not no. I mean, it, it, when you look at that, and, and so what these false teachers were doing, they were talking about this issue of Christianity, and they were saying, and what they were trying to do, they were trying to enslave people, and they were taking them back to the Old Testament law. And said, you know what? Christianity is some religious thing that you do. It's checking off some blocks. It is not life change. It is not your life transforming and growing in grace and growing in love. Learning how to love your neighbor as yourself. It's like none of that. And so the, 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 the false teachers are pushing them back to the Old Testament. And says, you know what? It's about rules and regulations. It's about feasts and festivals. It's about not eating certain meats and eating kind, other kinds of meats. It's, it's some of those things. It's all external. None of it's internal where the scriptures are not like transforming your life. And he's like, don't you understand they are enslaving you? Don't you understand they are, in tr they, they are trying to exploit you for their gain? And he's like, he said, can't you see what they're doing? Can't you just look under the surface, see what they're doing? And then he makes this statement. He says, well, if someone enslaves you, enslaves you is like this fishing term. In the Greek, enslave means to be caught with bait caught with hook. And so if you're, a, if, if you're a person that fishes, then you know this principle, right? When you go, whether it's a lake or, 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 or the river, and you want to catch some fish, the first thing you got to do, you got to pick some bait that entices them. Pick some bait that the fish desires. And then you know what you do? You take something that they really desire and then you hide the hook. You put the bait, you wrap the bait around the hook. You, back the, you wrap the bait around your agenda. You, you wrap the bait, you put the bait in the water, 
And guess what? When the fish takes the bait, what does he get? He gets the hook. And you set the hook, and now then, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that, that fish that once had freedom to swim anywhere in the river and anywhere in the lake now is enslaved to the person on the other end of the line. That person on the other end of the line can drag that fish anywhere that person wants them to go, all the way into their frying pan, right? <laughs> After they roll it in yellow cornmeal if you're from the south. <laughs> and Paul is saying, don't you understand what they're doing? They're offering you something that entices you. But there's a, there's a hidden agenda. They're promising you power. They're promising you prosperity. They're, they're, they're elevating man, and they're de-elevating God. They're not, Paul's saying they're not interested in you. They're interested in their own ego. They're interested in their own agenda. They're interested in, not in you, but they're, they're, really, they're really degrading you. And then he goes, if, if that's not enough, he says, you know your red flag issue? In the phrase in, in, in the CSB, if someone slaps you in the face. Now, we know nothing of what that means in our culture, in their culture, first century culture. It's crazy. They're, the teachers of their day, especially the false teachers, practice this. But the teachers of their day, they would demean, degrade, judge their followers. They would literally slap them in the face in front of their students. They'd physically like slap. Someone gets out of line. They slap them in the face. They degrade them. They embarrass them. They, put her un they let them know you're under subjection to us. They're also, when they slap them in the face, they're warning everybody else what happens when you step out of line. And these false teachers, these false teachers publicly saying, listen, publicly saying that you need to live in fear. God is someone to be feared. God is not someone to be trusted. God is not someone to be loved. God does not want the best for you. You better be careful. And so they were like degrading people. And they were also saying, you know what? We are better Christians because of our credentials, because of our status than you. And let me just tell you, be careful who you get your theology from, especially in these days. Careful who you get your theology from. Be careful you understand their motives. Be careful you understand the hidden, if there is, a hidden agenda. In the 80s, I told you that I, I came, I came to, to Christ, and Christ radically saved me. I was working in engineering at the time, and then, um, and then right, after I, right, after I, right after I met Christ, I mean, and, and Christ radically changed my life. And all of a sudden, this movie, and again, today I'm showing my age, because those of you that are older, as old as me, you'll probably remember this, this movie, but I'll explain it if you don't. And so there was that movie that came out about the book of Revelation, uh, Left Behind. Anybody see that? You, anybody? Okay, good. So, yeah, so you just showed your age with me, so you're, you're my people. And so there's this movie that came out, and our church showed that movie. And movie, the Left Behind series, was this thing that was just going to, you know, just scare you to death. And it was what happens if you're not a true Christian and what happened out of the book of Revelation that the rapture happens and you're like left behind and then what to do if you're left behind. And can I just tell you, in the 80s and in the 90s, the book of Revelation was used in such a way to scare you. The book of Re Revelation should not scare you. 
Yes, there's timelines, and yes, there's a eschatology, the, 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 the study of end-time event. But the book of Revelation was written to the church, was written to the, 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 the Christians, not to give them fear, but to give you comfort. That Jesus is worthy of your praise. That Jesus is worthy of worship. That Jesus loves you. And there are some that are using the book of Revelation to like give the church and to give people fear. Let me just tell you. And I don't know who needs to hear this. I just think someone needs to hear this. The COVID vaccine has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. has absolutely nothing to do with the mark of the beast. When you look at the book of Revelation, if you're pre-trib, pre-tribulation, which I am, if you're pre-tribulation, which simply means this, that Jesus pulls the believers out, he comes for the believers, pulls them out before the seven-year tribulation period, do you realize that means as believers? We'll never have to make that decision. For there to be a mark of the beast, there has to be a beast. There is no way you and I can accept the mark of the beast because the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus Christ is going to pull the church out. Amen. Thank you, Troy. <laughs> and he can be trusted. He can be trusted. When I saw the movie Left Behind, I'm telling you, I know what it's like to have the book of the Revelation to just scare you to death. It's scare I didn't sleep for three days. I went back to my engineering company. In those days, I was brand new. It was like my first year. And so I'm sitting in what we call like a bullpen, and all that means it's like middle school for men. I mean, they just all revert back. And so in those days, it was just a group of men in a big room, and we shoved our desks to each other, and rubber band wars and everything else took place in that place. And so after I saw the movie Left Behind, I was so freaked out, I went and I witnessed to every. I stood up and said, you know what? I'm so worried you guys are going to get left behind. You need Jesus. Nobody accepted Jesus, and I was so disappointed. A couple of weeks after that, true story, a couple of weeks after that, I was working on a Saturday. I was the only one in the office. I'm working on a Saturday. The air conditioner wasn't running, and so I got hot, and so I took the shirt, my, my jacket, light jacket that I was wearing. I took it off, draped it over, you know, my chair. Um, I had my lamp on. I was playing a radio. I'd, I'd taken my boots off, and I'd laid my boots out, and so I, I got hungry. I needed a snack, so I went across the hall to the snack room. I get a snack. Well, I come back, I lock myself out of the office. And so my office key was, was on my desk. Uh, I had a key, the keys with me with, with, to my truck and to my apartment. So I said, no worries, I go home. <laughs> Monday morning, I'm the last one in the bullpen. I come in, all these guys are like staring at me, and they start clapping. We said, we're so thankful we're, you're here. And I'm like, what is up with you? They go, we thought the rapture had happened. We, sh we showed up, and your desk lamp is on. Your pen, we looked, your pen is like resting in like mid-sentence. And you got your shirt there, you got your boots there. The and so we thought, and I says, okay, how many of you want to meet Christ now? And nobody accepted and then Paul looks at this, and you see this, where Paul, he is so frustrated. He said, I say, I say this to our shame, so that's plural. The verse is going to come up in a second. I know it. Okay. It's not. Okay, here we go. I say this to our 
our shame. It's plural, right? Paul's like, I'm in this with you. Paul's like, I say this to our shame. I should have been a better preacher. I should have been a better pastor. Because you're falling for these false teachers that are enslaving you, exploiting you, giving you fear. They're slapping you in the face. They're judging you. They're saying, we're better Christians than you type deal. All of those things. And I, I, I just want you to know, I must have failed you. Maybe if I could preach better, maybe if I could teach better, maybe if we had different programs, maybe we have some better stuff. And so he says, I say this to our shame. And he says, we have been too weak for that. But in whatever anyone dares to boast, I am talking foolishly. I also dare. And so what, here's what Paul said. Please don't, please don't mistake my gentleness or my humility as a weakness. I'm not going to exploit you. I'm not going to slap you in the face. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to intimidate you. I'm going to take the scriptures and apply them to your life and allow you to follow Jesus Christ because you can trust him. And he's going on and talking about this issue of integrity, and it seems like there's, even in our society, there's not much integrity left, right? It seems, seems like in our country there's this moral breakdown, whether it's in politics, whether it's in government, whether it's in, 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 in family and organizations, and unfortunately sometimes even in the church. I mean, there's some people today believe that the only way to get ahead is to lie, cheat, and steal. Do unto others before they do unto you type of deal. There's kind of a funny story, but back when I was living in, in Houston, the Houston Chronicle ran a series of articles where they interviewed insurance agents that had, had, written, in, that had written insurance policies. And they, they, it was just hilarious stories of some of the times when people were less than honest. And so they had this story, these two insurance agents that were best friends. And so this guy calls the first insurance agent, and he needed to write a special policy that required family history. And it was just one of those special umbrella policies. And so he said the agent asked him, said, how old your mother? She's dead. How old was she when she died? 41. What did she die of? Tuberculosis. How old your father? He is dead. How old was your father when he died? 42. What did your father die of? Heart attack. And so the agent said, sir, this is a special policy. Your, your family history is horrible. I cannot write this policy. I cannot get this policy underwritten. And so this man just picked up the phone and called another insurance agent, and that happened to be this guy's best friend. And so the guy says, well, I need to ask you some questions. And he said, sure. He said, um, how old your father? He's dead. How old was your father when he died? He was 91. <laughs> what did he die of? He fell off a horse playing polo. He said, how old is your, is your mother still alive? She's dead. How old was she when she died? 92. What did she die of? Childbirth. And so uh, <laughs> he didn't get the policy. So here's the second. Listen, here's the second principle. Your maturity, my maturity is revealed in the sacrifices that you're willing to make. Our maturity, listen, our maturity is revealed in the sacrifices that we are willing to make. Again, as a child matures, one of the ways that you know that they mature, not only the decisions that they make, right, but the sacrifices where they're willing to share, where they're willing to be kind, some of those other things. And so you look at this group of false teachers, and they're claiming, remember in the text when we looked at this earlier, they're claiming that like they're super apostles. In other words, they're, they're better than Paul. 
I mean, they come to this place that they're better than Paul. Ever been around somebody like that? That they think they are super Christians or they think their faith is greater than you, than some of, some of the others? And so what was happening is these super apostles, these false teachers, they were bragging that, they're superior, that they were superior to Paul. And they're talking about, we know Hebrew, and so they're making some assumptions about Paul. They assumed that Paul, which says they didn't really even know him, they assumed that Paul was not fluent in Hebrew. Why is that so important? Well, if you know anything about church history, you know that there is dispersion of the Jews. And so the, the Jews were dispersed. And as a result of that, the majority of the Jews no longer knew Hebrew because there's no one there to teach them. The superior Jews were the ones that knew Hebrew. And so they're trying to say, hey, we're superior to Paul because we bet he doesn't even know Hebrew. He's a false guy. And look how Paul answers in verse 22. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. So he begins comparing credentials. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. And so Paul is like, he's, he's trying to, to, to help them understand his credentials. He says, I'm fluent in Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Not only that, on the eighth day I was circumcised, which was huge in their world. It was just huge in their world. Not only that, I study under the, the teacher Galileo. And Galileo was like, he would be like, uh, it'd be like Harvard or Yale of their day. He would be like the, the religious, the Jewish religious expert. Anybody that studied under Galileo immediately had unbelievable credentials. And Paul says, I studied under the best. I understand Judaism. I, I, I studied under the best. And not, not, and not only that, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was like elite status in their world. He says, I have all the credentials, but here's the interesting thing about Paul. Paul didn't compare credentials to credentials. Watch what he does. He said, can I just ask you a question in verse 23? Are they servants of Christ? Do they live out the teachings of Jesus? Are they willing to serve one another? Are they willing to sacrifice? Do they ever, do they ever come to the place, remember? Because that's what Jesus told us, right? But before Jesus went to the cross and was crucified, what did he do? He got the disciples together, and he washed their feet. And then he says, just as I have washed your feet, you be willing to wash one another's feet. You love your neighbor as yourself. You put their interest over your interest. You understand what it means. You understand what it means to be a servant of Christ. He says, are they servants of Christ? Now watch this. It's interesting. See, these, these super apostles, they never thought anybody would justify their life with what they did. They thought it was in their status. They thought it was in their credentials. And then Paul goes on and says, I'm talking like a madman, and I'm a better one. He says, with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. And I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. Paul believed one of the identifying marks of a believer was his issue of a sacrificial life. This issue of willing to serve and this issue of, issue of willing to serve others. See, Paul didn't talk about status and Paul didn't talk about credentials. Just one verse. I'm a Hebrew. I know Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. I'm from the clan. I'm from the tribe of... Uh, I'm from Abraham's seed. 
And then the rest of the time, he said, let me give you the evidence. Now, let me just give you the evidence. Paul's credentials were not on what he accomplished. It was what he suffered. If someone wanted to know that Paul was authentic and Paul was real, he could simply take off his coat and show him his scars, show him his lacerated back, show him how he suffered for Christ, show him how he served. And when you look at this, you see this in Paul's life. And then he goes on, he says, Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Can you imagine? 24 hours he floated on the open sea, hanging on to a log, hanging on to a plank of the ship, the mast, the sail, whatever. And he had to wonder, did I miss God? Did I miss his will? I've lost everything. I've lost my belongings. I've lost everything. I don't even know if I'm going to survive. I don't even know if I'm going to make it. And then verse 26, he goes on. Of frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, and dangers among the false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. What Paul is saying one of the greatest credentials of a committed Christian was taking the teachings of Scripture. Remember, we've, told, we've talked about this through the series, that God's Word, God's Word is Jesus Christ revealing Himself to us. It is the Word of God. And when you look at this, you realize that this Word transformed Paul's life. To where he became like this different person. And, and all of a sudden he loved people that were different than him. I mean, when you look at the, the false teachers, they, they, for them it was student, not sacrifice. I'm a student of his. And you're going to be students of his. And this is the rules, this is the regula regulation. If you don't do it, guess what? You're going to get penalized. We'll put you in timeout. We're going to slap you in the face. We're going to demean, degrade you. And Paul says it has nothing to do with that. And we were, we were talking after a staff meeting. We had a pastor's meeting. And this scripture, I'm telling you, this, this, this text, this text, I've spent so much time. And there, there was a time that I was so frustrated with this sermon. I just pushed it away and, and, and like prayed. There's a novel idea. And said, God, you've got to help me. Because this is so countercultural to the times in which we live. There are people now that you talk about sacrifice, you talk about serving, and they push back. And they go, oh, if I did that, my life would be miserable. You know what I found? There's freedom in that. God does some of his great works when we're willing to serve one another, we're willing to minister to one another. And so we were having this discussion, Pastor Dwayne and I were having this discussion, stu student versus service and student versus, versus serving and student versus sacrifice and some of those other things. And Pastor Beth is like listening to this whole thing. And all of a sudden she pulls out a book. And she says, I'm reading, I'm reading this book. It's Jesus Creed. It's Scott McKnight. He's a theologian. And he talks about this issue. And she read this to us. And so, so I just copied it. And I'm, I'm going to quote. This is Scott McKnight out of the uh, Jesus Creed. Education in the world of Jesus was not about information. But about emulation and imitation. To follow Jesus was to watch him, to listen to him, and to learn how to live by living like Jesus. Most of all, that means learning a life of love. And the challenge of love then is the challenge to turn enemies into neighbors, to turn those who, who don't, don't, to turn those who, who we don't like into those we do. 
and to turn people who are invisible, the marginalized of society, to turn people who are invisible in our society into bright visibility. We do this by making rugged, effective commitments to other people to be with them, to minister to them, to serve them, to be for them, and to grow together in copies of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he took, he took, he took the church in Macedonia that was poor, and he took the church in Corinth that was affluent and had a lot of success and all of those other things. And he says, this church in Macedonia. They got this. They understood this. They gave of themselves first, and then they gave of their resources. And Paul is saying that if we are followers of Christ and his word is transforming our lives, then we give of ourselves first and we give of our resources. We understand, we understand what it means to minister. We understand what it means to serve others. And listen, I am so thankful. I am so thankful for this church, and I am so thankful for you. I realized this last week that through COVID, through all the stuff that went on in 2021 and into 2020, in, in 2021 and in 2020 and into 2021, I put a pencil to it, and I realized we have actually ministered to more people than we ever have in a year in our history in Pueblo, Colorado. When we went into this, many of you will remember, and you clap, yeah. And we had people that continued to serve alongside of us just to figure out how to do this because we have a society, we have a culture that desperately needs people that are willing to serve them, that are willing to minister to them. When we went into COVID, if you'll remember, we, we, we gathered a group of people and ministry partners and said, would you mind calling every person that represents Fellowship of the Rockies? We made 6,500 phone calls. And we asked, the, we asked every individual three questions. Is there anything that you need? Could we meet a need in your life? Is there anything we, you need? How, how are you doing? How can we pray for you? And if they told us they, they, they had a need, we would say, would you like a buddy? And we'll pair you up with a buddy that will meet your needs. And, and if they said yes, we found a buddy. If they said no, we don't need a buddy, then we said, would you like to be a buddy? It's amazing how many people that responded back and said, we'll be a buddy. We don't care who they are. We don't care where they live. We don't care. We'll, we'll, we'll be a buddy. We'll take them to doctor's appointments if we need to. We'll get meds for them if they're elderly and they're high risk. We'll do some shopping for them. We will meet a need. And amazing what happened in this church. It's amazing who, what happened. We've served thousands of meals to frontline workers, whether it's police, whether it's fire, whether it's sheriff, whether it's paramedics, whether it's, whether it's uh, um, doctors and nurses and administration from Parkview Hospital and other places. And we have just met needs and we have had people there that served them and people that would pray for them and people that would encourage them. And we still to this day, we have people that are serving. We have people in this church, I'm telling you, that are ministering to neighbors right now that are saying, you know what, we're building relationship with our neighbors. Our neighbors are going through a hard time. We're going on walks with people just to share Jesus. And listen, this, I'll close with a story, and we're done. And I very rarely even talk about any of this stuff. And, but but I, I feel like since Paul did, I, I should, just a little bit. But I, Karen and I, we have a secret walk that you may never know about because it's just to check our motives that are we serving, are we living this out? And we have some, some widows in our, on our block that are, that are going through some tough times. And we make sure, one of the things we make sure, we make sure that, that the snow is shoveled in their driveway and sidewalk. And there's one morning, and 
It was just a little glimpse. And there was one morning, I had a real busy day. It's five in the morning, and I'm shoveled our, our drive, and then I'll go over and I, I shovel this other drive. And I just had this moment with the Lord, and it became like a holy moment. And I'm shoveling the snow, and I look in her yard, and it's, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of political signs, and I disagree with every one of them. And then I have that thought. She probably doesn't even know I'm, I mean, she's sound asleep. She probably doesn't even know I'm doing this. She probably even won't even notice. She may never meet Christ. She may never come to church. She may, may never make any changes in her life. And all of a sudden, that place became like holy ground to me. And God confronted me. And I said, you know what, as a believer in Christ, I'm called to love my neighbor as myself. And when I serve them, I'm really, what Scripture teaches me, I'm really not serving them. I'm serving him. Whoever did these things to the least of me, did them for me. Some people that will tell you, that if we were to sacrifice, that it would be a life of misery. I can tell you, it's just the opposite. We have people in this church serving at CASA. We have people in this church serving at a caring pregnancy center. We have people in the church serving you as you make your way in. We have people that are serving you in the children's ministry, the student ministry. We have life group leaders that are continually, all the way through this, figuring out a way to minister this last week. This last week we had two families in our church go through major crisis. And the way in which their life group, the way in which this church came and stood beside them, it's amazing. Because when you and I, when we go through tragedy and we don't even have the strength to hope, we just need someone to stand beside us and says, I will hope for you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This message this teaching is countercultural to the times in which we live. My encouragement to you, there'd be evidence in your life that God has transformed my life. The way I serve others, the way I love others. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?